Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. This will be a part two of what we were doing last week on Go and Make Disciples. We began to talk about this last week in part one. This will be part two of that. And, um, and I announced last week that we're going to start this new thing called the... Well, you, we didn't have a name for it last week. Now we have a name for it. It's going to be called simply just the Discipleship Project. And, it, and what we're doing is, at the end of last week, if you remember, we said, well, we really shouldn't have to have a program for us to be discipling the way that Jesus has called us to disciple, but we kind of really need to. Like we shouldn't have to, but we kind of need to. It, it just facilitates it. So we're putting that together. And very soon you'll be able to go online and sign up to have a mentor or somebody disciple you. That is in the works. Um, we'll actually be launching that in the next couple of weeks and keep you posted. But today is more about why that's so important. So we'll be in Matthew chapter uh, 28. We will eventually later on get to John, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3, if you want to mark that as well. But... um. Anybody remember the question that we've been asking as we've gone through the Great Commission? We're still in the Great Commission. We've kind of camped out here for a little bit. Anybody remember the question? Yeah, exactly. Is the Word of God going to stop with me or is it going to spread through me? Which was it intended to do? Right, spread through us, right? So so we want to have that in our mind as... As we're going into the Great Commission, where we're told and take the word to the world. So does it stop with me or does it spread through me? We are continuing in our series on the life and times of Jesus. We're almost finished with it. Uh, this week, we're going to talk more about discipleship. And the next week, we're going to start talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus has said, um, that the disciples were to wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're camping out here on this all-important command of Christ that we call the Great Commission, where Jesus calls all of those that are his disciples to an active faith, right? Hopefully in the last three weeks, we've got a hold and grabbed a hold of the fact that this command begins with what? Go, right? He says, I have all authority, but I'm sending you, so go. We are all commanded to have an active faith. There there was never intended for any of Jesus' disciples to be mere churchgoers. We, we reject that as a church. That, that we're just Sunday Christians, just churchgoers. Uh, uh, stale or stagnant or an apathetic Christianity is clearly in opposition to the word of Christ and the heart of Christ. We, we get that, right? There, there was a quote by this guy, Oswald J. Smith, and I thought it was good. He said, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize, right? The, the church that is not active will just be a bunch of fossils, right? Dead imprints. Isn't that what, what fossils are? So, so we're either going to be active Christians or we're going to be dead imprints of Christians. So with that in mind, let's read our text and then we'll pray. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 18. Same text we've had for three weeks. And Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lord, as we do open your word, we pray that we would take Jules' encouragement to uh, handle this with the utmost reverence, to remind ourselves that these are truly words from God Almighty sent to us to, to change and transform our lives and bring our character more in line with your character. So we ask now that you'd speak to us, Lord, right where we're at. You know every single one of our hearts. And you know what we need to hear this morning. We've come to meet with you and no one else. So Lord, we ask you to speak. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, last week we began to hone in a bit on this command to make disciples. To go and make disciples. And so what we said last week is that every disciple of Jesus is in turn supposed to be a disciple maker. And we saw last week that there were two basic components to disciple making according to Jesus. One is sharing the gospel, leading people to Christ, and explaining the commitment to follow Christ. All of that is in carried in that command to baptize, right? We, we talked about that last week because why? There's absolutely no need and no benefit to baptize somebody until they're saved and understand what it means to follow Christ. So that was step one. Step two was what? Anybody remember? Teaching, exactly. Not teaching like this. Not, not, not sermons. We went to great length to point out that, that we've got a little off track in the modern American church to, to think that this is only what, what teaching is. No, no, we said, but rather Jesus-style teaching, which was clearly very relational. Spending time with people, pouring into somebody who may not be quite as far along as you are with, in the Lord at that moment. That, that is, that you're taking time and preparing to, to share the word with somebody else. And you're committing to pray for them. You're, you're Really what you're doing is you're doing life together with them, right? You're walking them through the ups and downs of, uh, of what comes through life. And you're making your life transparent to them and getting involved in, in their life. And you're there to answer questions for them as those questions come along. And everybody's got questions, right? You don't read your Bible without having some questions. You don't walk through life without having some questions. All of that is what? That's all stuff that Jesus did for his disciples. That's Jesus-style discipleship. So so when he calls us to teach and be disciple-makers, that's what he's talking about. That, That we would be disciples that are willing to invest our lives in others for the sake of their spiritual growth. That's what we're talking about when we talk about teaching, when we talk about disciple making. Then, last week, if you remember, we looked at a few reasons why we should be, as a church, why we should, as disciples, be involved in this type of disciple-making. And we looked at at multiple reasons, three, three in particular. One is that it's clearly a command from Jesus himself. It's there in red letters. It's the great commission, not the great option, right? So, So it's a command from Jesus. Then we looked and we said, well, it is also the example of his life. That's what he did. He he just grabbed it. I mean, 
God incarnate showed up on this earth and he grabbed 12 guys. That's what he did. And he poured into them, primarily pouring into them. And then we said it's the design of the church. It's the way that he set it up. So, so that disciples would be pouring into others making disciples, that they might become disciple makers and in turn continue discipling. So, so it's the design of the church. One that we didn't mention last week that I'm going to mention just in passing now is that disciple making and mentoring is just super practical. I mean, beside all the spiritual side, the command, the example, and the design for the church, it's just super practical because why? There's more needs in the church. There's more questions in the church. There's more care that needs to happen and be given within the church than just the pastors or church leaders can do. Right? We get that. That's why the design of Jesus for his church was that we as a body would do this. It wouldn't just be relegated to clergy. It would be all of us. All disciples were meant to be disciple makers. Now, all of those are great reasons why we should be doing this, right? Do we agree with that? Those are all good reasons. But apparently it's not enough, right? Because we know that this form of discipleship is not happening on a large scale in the modern American church. And if we're honest, we would say it's not happening on a large scale here at the mission as well. I know it happens in pockets. I know that some people do have um, people that they disciple. But on a real large scale, on the level that we would expect it to happen if it's truly the great commission of Jesus, it's not really happening. So... As I explained last week, this has really kind of been a frustration for me for like years and years, even before when I was at North Shore Christian Fellowship and writing a curriculum for for disciple making and all these different things and trying to figure out then how to make this a prominent part of who we are as a church. Right, We don't want this just to be some sort of like a fad. Okay, we're talking about the Great Commission, so we're just going to do it for a couple of weeks and then we'll move on kind of a deal. Like, how do we make this our church culture? So, so that every one of us that is a disciple of Jesus is looking around and willing to, to reach out and disciple someone else. So what do we do? How do we, how do we change and I think what we have to do is, is we have to determine together as a church to change the culture of our church, right? Because here, here's what happens. And this is true of anything that we come across. When we find ourselves out of step with what Jesus has said clearly in his word and called us to, something needs to change, right? Is it him or us? It's us. It's always us, right? So anytime with anything that we're doing, that we find ourselves out of line with Jesus, something needs to change and it's not him, it's us. And so last week, after you know, talking about this and giving all those reasons, I really began to think and I realized this, that, that the deep-rooted cultural change that we need that will motivate us to Jesus-style discipleship in this room really caring and pouring into one another in this room means that there's got to be a change of heart, right? It's got to be a change within us. 
It's got to be a Holy Spirit change within us. The, the things that are going to keep this from just being a fad, because we could do that, couldn't we? Like, like that's, that's super, like, common in the church. Like, you go over a text, like, because it's in text, and we just do that for a couple of weeks because we just read it for a couple of weeks. But what's going to keep this from being a phase for us or a fad for us, and, and what's even going to supersede the fact that it's a command, example, and design of Jesus, and what's going to really make it a lasting cultural change is if we develop together as a church a genuine love for one another based on, and this is the key to the whole thing, based on the love that we have received from God. It has to start with the gospel. See, our hearts have to be so radically touched by God, by the gospel, that we in turn are willing to care for others. Otherwise, it's just going to be a little fad because we're just going over it. Anything short of that will make this something that we know we should do, right? Because we've seen it in the Bible. We just read it and we go, well, I should do it, but I never get around to it, right? There, there has to be a change in our hearts. And here's why. Here's why. Because the reality of taking on somebody and discipling them the way Jesus did. The reality is that it is both hard and costly. I mean, if we're going to do it right, it's hard and it's costly because what we're doing is we're now investing in other people's lives. And and, and beyond that, we're opening our lives up to them. Everybody that I've ever discipled, I've always told them, you can call me anytime that you need to call me. Like, I don't care if it's three in the morning and you just got arrested and you're full of shame and whatever, you call me. Like, call me. And I've had those phone calls over the years, but we're opening our lives up to them. It's not just, hey, I'm giving you information. I'm bringing you in on my life as well. I'm committing to rigorous prayer for you. I'm going to allow your junk to now become my junk. Like I'm getting involved in your life and all the the junk that you're dealing with, I'm going to take it on and allow it to to be a part of my life. And I'm going to rigorously commit to to prayer and I'm going to be there for you, whatever it takes. It takes time. It takes sacrifice on our part to help somebody grow in the Lord. And and, and let me say, it, it can be heartbreaking, just so you know. I've discipled people and watched them walk away from the Lord. But I've also seen them come back because they knew somebody loved them. I've also got the phone calls at three in the morning when they were locked up because they knew there was somebody that they could call. It's costly, right? It's hard. It's not easy for us. But we have to remember this that Jesus never, ever misled somebody to think that following him was easy, did they? Ever. In fact, what did he do? He constantly guaranteed them that it wouldn't be easy. He never misled anybody. Say, you know what? If you follow me, it's all going to be easy. Follow me into discipleship. It's going to be, you know, all cake. 
Never. He constantly told us that following him would be difficult. And he would say things at times when he sensed people were following him for wrong reasons. He would say things even to challenge their commitment. And oftentimes they would leave. He would say things like, listen, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Like daily and denial. And it's hard and it's going to be difficult. And then he would go on to say, he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Well, heavy, right? Jesus never tried to like talk somebody into following him. He just told them what it would cost them to follow him. Jesus made it well known that following him would take sacrifice, that that it would be hard and costly. And so if we're not willing to make those sacrifices in any area, not just in discipleship, but, but clearly according to his words, we're not really following him. So then we should have no illusions, should we? That following Jesus into disciple-making is going to be easy or convenient. Right? So I'm telling you right now that it's going to be difficult. I'm not trying to sell you on it. I'm just telling you that, that it's the Word of God. We need a cultural change. We need to do it. And it's going to be difficult. In fact, one of the very strong indications of how really hard disciple-making is, is that Jesus, God incarnate, the creator of everything, with infinite wisdom who holds everything together, who had 24 hours a day and three years with his disciples, only took on 12. That that should say something to how difficult, invested, and costly it is to get involved in the lives of people. It's It's a real investment. And so for us, we may not have 24 hours a day and three solid years to spend with disciples. So we may take on one or two at a time, you know. Now, with that said, and everybody making up their mind that they don't want to be involved in this, let's talk motivation. Because the reality is that the church hasn't really bought into personal discipleship on any real large scale. And, and I mean that as the church, big C worldwide, or the church even locally. And, and in spite of the fact that, that it is a command, in spite of the fact that it's the example of Jesus' life, in spite of the fact that it's the design of the church and that it's super practical and all those things, our observation is what? That those factors alone have not been enough to drive and motivate real Jesus-style discipleship. So so the question then has to be asked, what's going to get us there? And the key is this, that we're going to love others based on the love that we've received from Christ. Right? We've got to grab a hold of that. We love because we're so loved. This is that that living out a gospel-centered life thing that we've talked so much about here, that the gospel is constantly on our mind and in our heart. I'm so overwhelmed by the fact that the God of the universe so loved me that he sent his son to to pay the price for my sin, right? I got to be so overwhelmed by that. Like just constantly having my heart and my mind that, that, that Jesus left 
the perfection of heaven and he came into a sin-soaked world. Like the perfection of heaven, he was there and he left there and he came into this world and he lived a sinless life that, that I can't live, that you can't live. And that qualified him because he was sinless to, to take our sin upon himself. He had no sin of his own to pay for, so he was enabled then to take our sin upon himself. And so a holy, sinless, perfect God died for a wretch like me. That, that's got to mean something to me. That, that he was hanging there on that cross. And, and as he was hanging there, he was bearing all of my sin and all of my shame and all of my guilt so that I might be set free from the power and the penalty of sin and that I might be able to experience forgiveness and grace and love and joy in God for all eternity, right? That's got to be there in our hearts for this to work, right? I have to be so in awe of the love of God that I'm then motivated to love others because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not naturally motivated to love other people. Anybody that's close to me knows that. And anybody that knew me before I got saved really knows that. Like, naturally, I don't even like people. So, so it's got to be a, a gospel-motivated thing, right? That, that God so loved me that I, in turn, turn around and love others. That, that's what a gospel-saturated life does for us. Our love and our actions now are not based on how we feel or think. They're based on the love that we've received from God, right? Since we're the beloved of God, surely we should love others. That's what 1 John 4, 19 is getting at when he says, we love because he loved us first. There's no illusion that that somehow we conjure up this deep, meaningful love. Our love is based in the gospel. And this is a motivation, not only, and grab a hold of this, because this, this reaches across the whole of the church. This is to be a motivation, not only in the area of making disciples, but in every area, right? Off for who God is and what he's done for us should be the motivation of our worship, Right? We should have a gospel-centered worship. Whenever we come into a room for a time of worship, our mind should not be on surfing or what we're going to have for lunch. It should be on the fact that Jesus went to that cross, died for me, was buried and raised, and now gives me the power over sin according to his great sacrifice. Listen, if that's deep in your heart, then that's going to keep our worship from being a bunch of people standing around with our hands in our pockets just mouthing words while we're thinking about surfing, right? We should have a gospel-centered worship. It's going to affect the way that we care and have compassion for people in need because we've been so loved, we love others. It's going to affect the purity of the church because when we have a gospel-saturated life, we see that the sin that we had was so costly for Christ. It cost him so much that I take it very serious now. Because I take it serious, because I have a gospel-centered life, it affects my purity. In the forgiving of other people, it's not based on whether they deserve forgiveness. It's based on the gospel. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted. Look at what it says. Forgiving each other how? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The forgiveness is not based in whether they deserve forgiveness. It's based in what Christ has done with me. And I live now a gospel-centered life. And because the gospel is always before me, and I've been so forgiven by Christ, I now forgive. I've been so loved, therefore I love. So, don't miss this. Whenever there is a lack of faithfulness and motivation to love others, there is a lack of understanding of what has been done for us through Christ. That's a truth that, that should ring deep within our hearts. Whenever there's a lack of faithfulness on our part or a motivation to love others, it is always due to a lack of understanding of the gospel and what has been done for us through the cross. So, So that now... Who we are and what we do is now based on who Christ is and what He's done, right? We shouldn't need a command, really. I mean, the Bible's full of them, but we really shouldn't need them. We should just be so in awe of the love of God, so compelled by His love. And this is to be so the condition of the heart of the disciple that that the New Testament goes so far as to make our love for one another, the litmus test or the indicator of whether we truly belong to Christ. You ever picked up on that? Guys, this is heavy. Turn, turn to John chapter, uh, 1 John, sorry, chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Watch what happens here. The New Testament, Holy Spirit inspired scripture now makes our love for one another the litmus test, the indicator of whether we truly belong to Christ. 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to use the New Living Translation just for clarity because it does very good with these verses. And because I know most of you guys don't have that, we'll put them up on the screen. Look at verse 10. 1 John 3.10. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Guys, that, that right there is heavy intro to anything like we can tell who belongs to god and who doesn't how anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to god well that's heavy right there that's heavy look down at verse 14 if we love our christian brother and sister notice what it says it proves that we have passed from death into life. It's a proof of salvation. Guys, that's heavy. But a person who has no love is still dead. There is a great temptation, is there not? At least there has been for me, and I'm assuming for some of you at times, to say, you know what? I'm fed up with it. I I just want to love God and just kind of shine His people. (laughs) Like, like, Jesus, I love you, but I really can't deal with your people. That's a great temptation, is it not? Because why? Church family stuff, meaning the stuff that goes on between the people in this room, it can be messy, can it? It can be difficult at times. 
It can be painful and sometimes there's hurts. I got to say, the greatest pains that I've ever had, the, the greatest hurts I've ever had have been inflicted by Christians. Right? Why? Because we're all a bunch of sinners, right? That's why we're here. Because we're a whole bunch of sinners. And what do you get when you get a room full of sinners? You get messy, right? You get pain. You get difficult stuff going on. So, so there's always this temptation to say, you know what? God, can I just cruise with you and just shine the rest of these guys? Does God let us do that? Absolutely not. He doesn't allow for it. He calls us to what? To love one another. To support one another. Not based on how we feel, but rather based on the way he loved us. That changes everything, doesn't it? My feelings don't matter anymore, do they? It's not based on how I feel about you. It's based on what Christ has done for me. It's not based on whether other people deserve the love. It's not based on how lovable they are. It's based on what? The gospel. Because what's the gospel? God so loved us when we were so utterly unlovable. That's what the gospel says, right? When we were enemies of God, when we were at our worst, he loved us the most. Titus chapter 3 says this. It says once, this is in New Living as well. It says, once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and we became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Why? Because we were so lovable? No, it says he saved us, not on the basis of the righteous things which we had done, but because of his mercy. It was sheerly his love and mercy, right? He washed away our sins giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And so God's love and care for us is not based on how great we are or how well we've performed or how lovable we are. It's all grace. All of it's grace, meaning all of it's undeserved. Now with that, look at verse 16, 1 John three sixteen. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So, so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. You, you see, there's a, because of this, we do that thing going on here. We know what real love is because Jesus went to the cross. So we ought to what? In kind, love others. We are to be so enamored and captivated by Jesus And his love for us that's displayed on the cross, that that Jesus gave up his life for us, that we are willing to invest our lives into others. So it means for us that who we are is to be shaped by who he is, right? Like, so we look at our lives and we go, is who I am now being shaped by who he is? Is how I love being shaped by how he loved? Is my commitment to others being shaped by his commitment to me? Not by if somebody's lovable and not by if it's convenient in my schedule, right? We already know it's going to be hard and costly. So so then when we look at disciple making and we think about it as hard and costly and inconvenient and time consuming, we're supposed to look where? At the cross. Look at Jesus 
Read 1 John 3, 16. We know real love by this, that Jesus gave up his life for us. So we then, because of that, we what? We got to be willing to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Look over at chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, verse 7. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. This is that Romans 5, 5 thing, that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It says that love comes from God. Meaning what? He's the origin, the source, the cause, and the foundation of love. Meaning what? The closer that we get to Him, the more intensely we'll love one another. Correct? Look at verse 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now watch this, verse 9. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, now here here it comes. Since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. You see? It's that because... We do. Because He is, because He did, we are, and we do. The Apostle John's point is because we have been so loved through the gospel that that we're supposed to then in turn love. Now, as that pertains to disciple-making and mentoring, which is what we're talking about, it's only really going to work, isn't it, if we grab a hold of how much Christ loved us. And then it becomes a natural outflow of our lives that we love others, that we want them to know God and to grow in the Lord, that we care for them and we want to see people make it, right? There has Because the other motivations didn't work for us. Just reality, it just didn't work. The command, the example of Christ, the plan and design for His church, the practicality of it didn't work, Right? So we have to see what Christ has done for us. And then in turn, we we love others. And when we love that way, when God so captures our heart, we're in awe and captivated by him. Then we look to scripture on what we're supposed to do. And what does Jesus say in the Great Commission? Go make disciples. If your life, your heart has been that radically changed, go out and make disciples like I did. See, we need to get to where Paul was when he said this. He said, having so fond an affection for you, so great a love, so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also what? Our own lives. Because you became so dear to us. Did you catch that? He says, not only did did we love you so much, we came, we met you guys, we, we love you so much, not only did we give you the gospel and you guys got saved, but then we gave you our lives. We opened our lives to you. We got involved and invested in your lives. It says this, it says it this way in the New Living Translation, which is nice. It says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. 
right? That, that's where we've got to go. And so very soon we're going to start this discipleship project. And I hope that it's not based merely in a command or the example of Christ or that it's practical or it's the design for church. All those are great and they should be great motivations. But I hope that it's based in the gospel, that every one of us grab a hold of the fact that God so loved us, like taking care of somebody else isn't that big of a deal then. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd make this change in our hearts as a church. Where it's already happening, Lord, we ask that it would grow. And where it's not, Lord, we ask that you would cause it to flourish. We pray that we would grab a hold of the gospel like never before, that that our hearts would be in constant awe of you, what you've done for us so much so that it informs every area of our life and it changes our hearts. That we're constantly looking to you, to your word, and in prayer that we might be directed by you because we so love you. Lord, would you build that into the very core and foundation of this church? Lord, may we be a people truly, truly motivated by your gospel, by the cross. Lord, would you speak to us now in a time of worship? And may our worship, Lord, be motivated by the gospel. May we stand in awe of who you are and worship you completely. Captivate our hearts, Lord. Captivate our minds now. In Jesus' name, amen.